The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So today I thought I would talk about wise speech. This is uh, within the flow of what I've been talking about since June. I've been talking about the uh, Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path and going through now the Eightfold Path. So um, wise speech is part of the Eightfold Path, part of the ethical component of the Eightfold Path. Just as a kind of a little uh, review, the Eightfold Path has, we could call it three sections to it. There's a section on wisdom, which is kind of the orientation that we we learn or we shift our lives around a new orientation um, from kind of our habitual ways of doing things, habitual ways of seeking our happiness to, um, to a, a new perspective that the Buddha offers around how happiness can be found. And the perspective is around looking at Uh, suffering, looking at what causes our suffering. And in that exploration, that understanding, there's a kind of a key, three key pieces that the Buddha said, you know, this is what's going to cause our suffering. There's three main things in our mind that cause our suffering. There's greed, there's aversion, and there's delusion. And so beginning to explore and understand these three um, not that we're going to just say, oh, okay, greed, aversion, and delusion, that's what caused my problem, then get rid of them. I mean, oh, I won't ever have those again. You know, it doesn't work that way. They're very deeply entrenched in our minds. So we, uh, we need to work with them, turn our attention towards them, rather than acting out on them, rather than following through acting on greed, aversion, and delusion, we turn our attention towards What's the experience of greed? What's the experience of aversion? And how do I know delusion? What is delusion? So the, this is, a, this is our, re, our reorientation. Typically the way we find happiness is through following through on greed and aversion. We want to have the things we like. We want to get rid of the things we don't like. And um, this actually keeps us kind of cycling on this path of suffering. So this reorientation, this is the wisdom that the Buddha offers us. He says, look, you know, I looked at this in my mind and this is what I found. And this is not just me, this is all of us. So if we reorient our minds around this, um, we will find a deeper, truer kind of happiness. So this wisdom aspect of the path is about reorienting. And following from that, the second section of the Eightfold Path is the ethical section, the section on morality. And this comprises wise speech, wise action, and wise livelihood. And this is looking at how we engage in the world, how, we, um, how our actions impact our happiness or our suffering. So looking at that certain behaviors tend to be motivated, you know, certain behaviors and ways that we engage in the world, when they cause harm, they tend to be motivated out of 
these unskillful, these three unskillful roots, greed, aversion, and delusion. And so the Buddha suggests, you know, if you, if you want to move towards happiness, you need to also look at how you're relating to the world, how you're relating to other people, how you're relating to your environment, and uh, see if you can act in ways that don't cause harm. So that's the, the ethical section of the path. And the, uh, the third section of the path is how we cultivate our minds. So this teaching that the Buddha offered, this reorientation of perspective, you know, the, the first set of tools that he offers us in terms of reorienting around this new perspective is this ethical conduct. And the second set uh, are you know, looking at our minds. And I referred to this a little bit when I talked about the, this reorientation that what we need to do is to make effort to observe how we're creating harm and suffering. Observe these, these um, qualities of greed, aversion, and delusion and find, uh, find ways to, to meet them with mindfulness and also to find ways perhaps to um, recognize when we do see them, sometimes we can recognize, well, this isn't so helpful, you know. If I'm, if I'm following through on greed in my mind, it's not so helpful. So are there other ways that I can engage? So this is wise effort and wise mindfulness. And those two together lead us to a stability of mind that can begin to... Um, meet our experience more, uh, more continuously. So there's more stability in our minds. More, we're more able to meet our experience without reactivity, without acting out on these three roots of greed, aversion, and delusion. So that's the kind of a very brief overview of the Eightfold Path. And I want to talk today about why speech and how it fits into this this uh, context, actually, you know, this context of this reorientation of perspective. So the, the, this wise speech is really, it's a daily life practice. It's a, it's a, it's a practice of engagement. Um, you know, we, um, we often will speak without particularly thinking about what we're going to say or how what we're going to say is going to impact the person we're talking to. And so this, um, you know, why speech actually is a kind of, um, it's, it's four aspects of speech that the Buddha said, you know, if you find yourself getting ready to engage in one of these four kinds of speech, you might want to think twice because these kinds of speech tend to be motivated out of these three roots, these three unwholesome roots of greed, aversion, and delusion. So these four kinds of speech that the, the Buddha suggested that we avoid are false speech, harsh speech, divisive speech, and idle chatter. And I'll talk about each of those in a few minutes. So this, um, this practice of wise speech, you know, being in our daily lives, 
it's different from what we do in our sitting practice. In our sitting practice, often we are um, you know, turning towards our experience. You know, the instructions are very much let go of thought. Often let go of your thoughts and come into the experience of here and now. Let go of the, um, you know, the thought and your move, movement to past or future or even thinking about the present moment. So we let go of thought in our sitting meditation. But speech is, is really about engaging with thought. You know, so this is a big difference between um, this aspect of the uh, the practice and our sitting practice, you know, that we're asked to engage with content in our speech and to be aware of it. So this is an area that we don't get a lot of practice in in our sitting, actually. So this is it's part of why I think it's so difficult to bring mindfulness to speech. So this is, this is actually a separate piece of um, wise speech. I mean, there's wise speech, which is refraining from these specific kinds of speech. And then there's mindful speech, which is being aware while we're speaking. You know, being aware while we're speaking. So the, the, they come together to some extent here because we do need to use mindfulness to be aware, am I going to speak in... Uh, in a harsh way, in a divisive way, uh, in a false way, or in a kind of a frivolous way. So we need some mindfulness to do that, to be aware of that. So they come together. But the practice of mindful speech is, is a kind of a broader practice, in a way, than the practice of wise speech. So in our um, practice of mindful speech, wise speech we're asked to be aware of what we're going to say, content, of the content of our minds, and asked to, uh, to understand, uh, reflect on our intention as to why we're going to speak. Because a big piece around the exploration of why speech has to do with intention. So um, if I, let's just talk briefly about each of these four kinds of speech. So false speech, and the, I think each of them actually is connected with intention, each of these four kinds of speech. False speech is speech spoken with the intention to deceive. So it's, it's a little more subtle than simply um, speaking what is untrue. Because there can be times when we say something that's untrue, and it's like we're not aware that it's untrue. You know, somebody has told us something, there's been some misinformation, and we pass that on. And so there's not an intention to deceive. So the false speech is asking us to look at our intention to deceive. So this, um, this lying, uh, this aspect of speech, you know, is motivated out of one of these three roots of greed, aversion, or delusion. You know, think in your own experience. You know, why have you, have you told falsehoods in your experience? Sometimes it's because you want to, to, to look good. <laughs> you know, so there's some greed there. Or, or um, so you, you want some kind of approval, perhaps, or something. 
Um, so there's, their greed could be motivating that. Or it might be that you tell a falsehood because you want to avoid some kind of, um, of consequence if somebody knows something about, you know, if, if they know this, this thing. Um, or it could just be delusion, you know, which, which might come in, you know, the kind of subtler forms of lying, like, um, you know, exaggeration or, or lying to tell a joke or something, you know, that um, uh, this, you know, it's not particularly greed or aversion, it's just, um, you know, a white lie, a humor, or to make a story more interesting, something like that, you know. So maybe a little bit of greed or a, a little bit of greed perhaps in there, but... Um, rooted in this delusion. So, um, the suttas actually talk not just about in the cultivation of wise speech. You know, they, they talk about the avoidance of these actions of speech. So, avoiding false speech. But they also talk about the fact that as we do that, it cultivates some beautiful qualities. So I'll, I'll, I'll read the section to you about false speech. Someone avoids false speech and abstains from it. One speaks the truth, is devoted to truth, reliable, worthy of confidence, not a deceiver of people. So not only to refrain from telling the falsehoods, as you, as you refrain from speaking falsely, you are cultivating truthfulness and cultivating the, um, the, the, the um, beauty of truth in a way. You know? So cultivating the, the fact that um, you know, the respect for truth, the, the sense of it being a beautiful quality to cultivate. So we talked a little bit last time when I did a kind of an overview of the ethical component of the path and talked about ethics in general. Um, we talked a little bit about some of the gray areas and I think each of these um, four aspects has some gray areas in a way. You know, the... Um, places where it seems perhaps not so clear. So, for instance, um, we might find um, the white lie a little bit of a gray area, you know, that we find we don't want to say something, or we want to, 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 you know, somebody says, oh, well, where were you, or something, and you don't want to tell them where you were because you think it might hurt them. Um, so this, you know, feels like there's a motivation of compassion in a way because you don't want to harm the other person. Um, and, uh, you know, this is a tricky area. I mean, because it's... Uh, um, to, to look really deeply at your motivation there, you know, it... it, it and, and to see, perhaps, if you really um, 
honor this truthfulness? Is there some way perhaps that you can honor the non-harming and the truthfulness together? You know, is there some way that you can speak in a way that is both truthful and non-harming? And I think your um, connecting with compassion in speaking goes a long way towards that. So this is, this is always an area of, um, of challenge for us, I think. You know, in, on my, um, my answering machine, for a while I, I put my answering machine there that says something like, um, you know, I'm, I, I'm not... Uh, I'm not. I'm not here or something, and and I started recognizing. Well, you know, a lot of the time I am here, and I just don't want to pick up the phone. So, <laughs> you know, I I um, I changed my message so that you know it's you know just I'm not not taking your call at the moment or something. You know, <laughs> so so that it's not um, you know speaking falsely. <laughs> so just little things, like little things like that. Um, so looking, looking at that, exploring that. And you may find that there are times when you do tell a white lie. And you know, this is one actually the Buddha was really um, strong on. He, when talking to his son, said that, you know, lying is kind of the pathway towards um, getting caught in all kinds of traps. And he said, you know, you should not even tell a falsehood, even as a joke. So to really, really, really think about this one. I had a... a, a, uh, a situation like this come up for myself. Um, it wasn't a, a joke, but it was, it was you know trying to make a story more interesting. Basically, I was in the Peace Corps and I was writing letters home, and somebody else told me a story that happened to them. And um, and in uh, writing the letter home, I wrote that story as if it had happened to me. And um, it was a funny story. It was a very, you know, interesting story. And my mom loved that story. And she told so many people about that story. <laughs> and, um, and then when I came home, you know, she wanted me to tell the story. And, you know, by this point I had really regretted, you know, telling the story. And, but, you know, for some reason I, I didn't, I couldn't find the right way or time because usually it was in a you know a crowd of people she'd say oh tell that story and I would just just refrain you know I just no I didn't want to tell the story and at some point at some point um, I was with a group of Dharma friends and my parents were there and I introduced my parents to the Dharma friends and this thing came up again I don't know my mom really loved the story so you know she she brought it up again and and within the context of being with Dharma friends I could say not my story, <laughs> you know. So I finally found the way and the time to um, clear that with her. And, and her response was, all those people I lied to? And, and one of my Dharma friends said, you didn't lie, you know, you didn't do that. You know, that was not your, uh, your falsehood. 
So, you know, these things, they have a way to, you know, find their way back to you, you know. When I wrote that story, I had no idea, you know, how much I would regret (laughs) having done that. So, you know, to really, I mean, it seemed like such a simple, small thing. But, um, you know, and and it, it... it was a little bit of my mom. My mom then later said, you know, was there anything else that you <laughs> lied about, you know? It's like, well, not that I remember, you know, but, you know, it, it just, it undermines that sense of reliability, that sense of truth. So, um, you know, really look at this one. Really look at this one. Then, um, divisive speech this one is um, this one is about dividing people. So that's why it's called divisive speech. You know, dividing one person from the from another, dividing this group from that group. Um, so the intention here behind divisive speech is the intention to create division, perhaps even to create ill will between groups. I think, you know, if we just look at politics, this is, this runs rampant. You know, a lot of divisive speech happening these days in our media. It is usually, I think, motivated out of that aversive component. Um, Although, you know, looking at the way politicians work, you know, it seems some of it's motivated out of greed, too. You know, it's like, um, they want to divide people in order to gain something for themselves. So looking at when there's even, you know, it can, this can, can be kind of subtle. You know, um, if you're finding, I mean, that there's sometimes this is connected with the area of gossip. Um, but, you know, gossip, if gossip is defined as and sometimes I've heard people saying, oh, the Buddha said we should never talk about people while they're not here, you know. That's not what he said. I mean, the, the, if we're talking about somebody who's not here, you know, it may be, you know, you know a friend of mine, you know, had an, an injury recently and I might talk to somebody else. Oh, did you know that that person was injured? You know, is there some, something you might want to contact them? You know, so that's not trying to divide. So the... Um, You know, looking at, but when we are looking at when we're speaking about other people who aren't here, seeing if there's any kind of, you know, trying to create some kind of us and them sense. You know, just just even in a subtle way of, oh, well, that person did this to me, you know, in a way of trying to gain support here and somehow... um, have that person seen as not so kind or something, you know. So, just it can be it can be in subtler ways that we create these divisions. So again, looking at that intention, the intention uh, of divisive speech is the intention to create division, to create um, discord, and the opposite side is that as we begin to explore this, refraining from divisive speech, we begin to appreciate um, speech that brings harmony, 
concord, unity. So we begin to appreciate that. So that's the positive side of cultivating the, uh, this aspect of wise speech, that we begin to explore harmony. Let's see what it says. Here, I like the way, I like the way it's put. One avoids slanderous speech. So slanderous speech is another way divisive speech is, is put and abstains from it. What one has heard here, one does not repeat there so as to cause dissension there. And what one has heard there does not repeat here so as to cause dissension here. Thus, one unites those who are divided. And those who are united, one encourages Concord gladdens one, one delights and rejoices in concord, and it is concord that is spread by words. So this is the kind of the movement from, you know, just simply abstaining to actually delighting in using speech in a wholesome way to create harmony, to create unity. Then harsh speech, the third kind, is... um, it's speech uttered, it's like angry words. Um, there's different ways that this, that this, we can see this harsh speech. Um, there could be um, what we could call abusive speech, which is using, you know, bitter language, um, speaking, speaking in a way that's... Um, you know, using using words um, that are unfriendly and um, that lash out, kind of like you're using your voice as a whip. You know, that kind of movement. That's abusive speech. And then there's insult, which is more like um, speech that. Uh, is deliberately intending to offend, so like ascribing ascribing some kind of quality to somebody, uh, a um, an offensive quality to somebody. That would be uh, insult. And then the third kind, sarcasm, which um, may ostensibly sound, you know, what we say may sound like it's kind but is spoken in a way so this is the tone you know so this is the tone of voice basically that one knows through hearing what's said uh, that it's not intended as a compliment at all it's intended as a insult so um, so the harsh speech can include the words that we're saying and also the way that we're saying it so to look at that also um, just sometimes when there's a little bit of uh, you know, anger or something, if we're speaking out of that quality, some of that energy can come out in our voice through the way we say words and the words that we say. So again, to look at that. I mean, this, this one I think is more motivated by um, the aversion side. You know, that... Uh, there probably could be some reason for speaking harshly that might be motivated by greed, but 
I think most often it would be motivated by aversion. So the positive side to this is cultivating friendly speech, kind speech, uh, cultivating courtesy. Then the third kind of unwise speech, the kind of speech to avoid, is idle chatter. Uh, Now this one, the definition of it is... um, Pointless talk that communicates nothing of value. (laughs) Um, So, you know, in this one, this one, I think also there, there um, are what we may think of as some gray areas. So, you know, monastics are asked to speak of the Dharma. You know, that's their, that's their. practice of this aspect of wise speech, to speak of the Dharma. For lay people, it is understood that there will be a need for, uh, you know, communication that um, is non-Dharmic, you know, to, to just, you know, talk about, you know, food, weather, that kind of thing. And also that sometimes there's kind of a recognition, again, so the the motivation here is is important so if it's simply you know uh, you know if you're speaking if you're speaking because you're uncomfortable being silent that may be you know just like pull something out of the air to say that may be something to look at you know so the discomfort of silence itself is something to to look at if you're speaking um, to create some kind of connection so, you know, you go, you go someplace and you don't know people, you have to start somewhere, you know, and, and you know, starting with the deepest um, uh, things of your life is not usually appropriate. So, you know, beginning with, wow, this weather's really unusual, you know, it, it ostensibly is, is pointless, but it is intending to create some kind of connection. And so that's the place to explore when it moves from, uh, into into idle chatter is 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 there a point to this speech? Does it have a purpose? So you know that's a that's an exploration for us. It's very easy for us to move from that kind of speech that uh, does have a little bit of a point to it. You know this connection with people to just you know chattering away about something because it's I don't know it's just entertaining or something. Um, so to, to begin to, to look at that aspect. It's, it's easy to, to shift from the, the, the initial connecting kind of speech into just entertaining kind of speech. So the positive side of this one is that refraining from um, idle chatter cultivates a settledness of mind, a clarity of mind. That if we just, you know, fill ourselves with, fill our minds with random noise, it doesn't promote a settling of the mind. 
in this little book. This is a lovely little book, um, The Noble Eightfold Path by Bhikkhu Bodhi. Um, it goes through all of the eight aspects of the Eightfold Path. and um, He's a great commentator. You know, he, he really does a good job of exploring each of these aspects of the Eightfold Path. And he suggests that um, this aspect of wise speech also might, we might think about in terms of um, what we let into our minds. You know, that um, we might want to use discernment in terms of taking in small talk from the radio or from television or the internet. <laughs> you know, that, that there's just so much that we um, put into our minds that cultivates this scatteredness, this lack of clarity. So these four aspects, um, you know, sometimes in thinking about the Eightfold Path, we might think about it as being, okay, you know, so I need to understand this stuff first. I need to understand what this new perspective is. And then I need to get all of this. I need to not behave unethically. I need to behave completely harmoniously before I start doing any of this meditation well, the understanding in even just looking at this wise speech area is that it's kind of a spiral, the Eightfold Path, that we understand some new aspects of uh, this wisdom and we begin to engage in that. We have the intention to begin to explore how do I engage um, in a non-harming way, how do I cultivate my mind to begin to observe greed, aversion, and delusion? And that, um, you know, that in seeing some of what we, in having this new perspective and engaging in these ways, we begin to understand things in our own experience so that the, the wisdom that the Buddha offered, this new perspective that the Buddha offers, we begin little by little to understand ourselves this new perspective. And that motivates us to deepen our understanding, which motivates us to more deepen our, um, our ethical conduct and encourages us to explore a little more deeply these roots of greed, aversion, and delusion. So it's kind of got this spiral quality that we learn some uh, and understand directly, not just through our intellect, but direct experience. We, we gain knowledge through our direct experience. And that encourages us to, to deepen. So with um, as the, the uh, respect to these four kinds of um, wise speech, or refraining from these four kinds of unwise speech, the, uh, one of the commentaries talks about how these layers or how these different kinds of speech will fall away as the more and more we practice. And it's, it's understood that the very first kind of unwise speech that, that falls away is false speech. That, that, that one we, we see earliest how, uh, how unhelpful it is. And so that one begins to, to fall away. And then later, much later, much, much later, in fact, the uh, harsh speech and uh, divisive speech fall away. 
So those being motivated by, um, you know, greed and aversion, um, that the the kind of the, especially harsh speech. You know, the there's a there's an understanding that the divisive speech, um, kind of often is is more premeditated. You know, that you're actually thinking in advance about it. So um, that kind of speech has a pretty, uh, it really impacts, it, it feeds back on, uh, on us. It, uh, it's, the, the understanding has kind of got um, a heavy karmic consequence because it's got so much, there's so much intention put into it. Whereas the harsh speech often just comes out of a moment. You know, it, it may be just a, somebody says something and there's this quick rising of anger and it comes out without much thought. And so that um, less, there's less of that intentionality going into it. So it's, so that's, you know, again, the intention is a big piece of, of exploring these aspects of wise speech. So that, um, you know, this kind of rapid rising of anger and speaking out of that, it's understood that that's going to be with us for a really long time, you know, that um, it falls away much, much later in the path. And then idle chatter, um, motivated by delusion, basically. (laughs) Uh, the, The commentary said, that one doesn't fall away until one is fully enlightened, fully fully awake so um, these things are going to be with us for a while and I think this also speaks to the you know the cyclic nature of the path you know that this wise speech is right in the middle of the eightfold path so you know we we have to be cultivating all these other qualities we need to be cultivating wise effort wise mindfulness and wise concentration in order to be able to see the mind doing this Delusion, which results in idle chatter, and likewise, you know, with harsh speech, you know, we need to be able to to cultivate our minds with wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration to be able to recognize that rapid arising of anger and oh, maybe I shouldn't say that. Okay, you know, so we begin to feel, we begin to viscerally feel the the arising of the the intention to say something and the, how it's motivated out of perhaps anger and recognize, oh, you know, okay, more important for me to just sit with that anger than to get that barb out there. So um, in cultivating wise speech, we, um, we are cultivating many aspects of the Eightfold Path. You know, none of these, I, I really like to think about the Eightfold Path. I like the term fold, you know, Kind of like they're all folded on each other. Anytime we cultivate one aspect, we, we can touch many of the others. So when we're cultivating wise speech, we have the perspective of wise understanding, the first aspect of the Eightfold Path, which supports us. You know, we're cultivating wisdom. The wisdom of, um, you know, one of the main ways that uh, that wisdom is understood of the, of the first aspect of the Eightfold Path is beginning to understand what is skillful 
in terms of leading us away from suffering and what is unskillful in terms of leading us towards suffering. So really beginning to recognize the skillful and unskillful side of it with the main definition of that being the unskillful uh, actions are motivated out of greed, aversion, and delusion. The skillful actions being motivated out of non-greed, non-aversion, non-delusion are being motivated out of generosity, kindness, compassion, wisdom. So the... uh, exploration around wise speech, we begin to see these motivations. We begin to see these intentions. So we're learning about this aspect of wise understanding. What is skillful? What is unskillful? We learn it directly, not just being told, you know, don't do that, don't do that. You know, that doesn't help us that much. We need to really understand in our own experience why it's not helpful why it's not helpful to act out of greed, aversion, and delusion. And so this is an exploration. You know, we practice um, noticing when we, you know, if we, if we notice that we're going to act in one of these ways, speak in one of these ways, we can um, use this guideline to hopefully help us to not act in those unskillful ways, but we will. You know, as this teaching from the commentary says, you know, these things don't fall away for a long time. And so the practice is also to see, you know, when you find yourself doing this, what's going on? You know, so these become kind of mindfulness bells for us. We, we notice, we recognize when we're going to speak in one of these ways, oh, what's going on here? There's some tension, some, ah. Oh. Mm, oh, I really want to say that. You know, so there's this, this feeling of, oh, and why? Well, I feel hurt. Okay, so hurt, that's what's happening. So we explore what's happening when these, the tendency towards these kinds of speech come up. So we cultivate wisdom. We're, we're in, in seeing um, the motivations that are coming up as we're inclined to speak that way through also watching what happens. What's the, what's the consequences? What are the consequences when we do that? You know, my story about the, the, the letter I wrote, you know, those consequences phew, filtered out over years. And, uh, you know, so to, to, to recognize the suffering that results, to, to acknowledge that, to take that in, that supports us to appreciate the value of not going there. So we cultivate wise wisdom in practicing wise speech and we cultivate the intention, wise intention, we cultivate the intention to speak wisely. And that's the second aspect of the Eightfold Path. It takes mindfulness to do this so we're cultivating mindfulness, and it takes effort to um, to recognize, you know, when we're going to speak in a certain way. It takes effort to recognize that, and to uh, kind of notice. Oh, okay, do I want to do that? Do I not want to do that? So wise effort, wise mindfulness are cultivated as we practice wise speech, and. As all of the ethical practices support a settling of the mind, they support concentration. 
You know, that the mind can settle much more easily when it has a sense of um, non-regret, non-remorse. And in fact, there's a teaching, uh, I don't know if I can remember all the steps, but the Buddha starts with this ethical conduct. He says, from ethical conduct, one who behaves ethically, what the reward of that is non-remorse. And, and one doesn't have to try to have non-remorse if one behaves ethically. That's the natural consequence. If one behaves ethically, non-remorse is the, is the reward. And what's, what's the consequence of non-remorse? Gladness of mind. The mind is, is happy. And he goes on and on. And he's like, so the consequence of, of gladness is delight. The consequence of delight is, is joy. The consequence of joy is... Um, um, here's where I, I, lo- I, I, I can't remember, but I think maybe concentration, the consequence of the mind being settled. And then from there it moves on to um, the ability to see wisely and clearly. And all of this f- comes back from the grounding in ethical conduct. So that's probably enough for me. <laughs> Any comments or questions? Yeah, Joel. Oh, there's a mic. Yeah, something came to mind. I don't know if it's something I do or I'm just aware of or it just was interesting as you were talking about. Maybe it's gossip. It's maybe talking about something negative about someone else. So let's say they have a number of good qualities but have a couple of these bad qualities or you know, things they've done or whatever. And you'd be, you're the person, you're, your tendency is to focus on the negative. Uh-huh. So you're always looking, oh yeah, their negative thing, here's their uh-huh. negative thing. And then there, maybe there's another person who focuses on the negative and tends to do that but also tries to balance it with something positive. But then what is their motivation? What's their underlying intention? Uh-huh. And they, that tends to be a habit, and they can almost deceive themselves. Oh, I, I take a balanced view. I take an honest view of, of, of that person. Yes, that's, that's true. I mean, that, that um, um, you know, sometimes we, we can be using what seems to be helpful and skillful from an unhelpful motivation. So we need to be careful and look at that. And I also... I also um, you know, if you have a real strong tendency towards a negative pull, um, even if there's a little bit of greed underneath cultiva- cultivating the other side, initially as a balance, I think it's really, you know, it's helpful, you know. And then once that balance is achieved, then we need to start looking underneath at those deeper motivations. So it's kind of like, you know, um, you know the path unfolds in a kind of a staged way, you know, we need to use certain skillful means to let go of kind of the grosser kinds of unskillfulness. And then when those grosser kinds of unskillfulnesses have, have become more in balance and we have more of a sense of that stability of mind, then we start looking at, well, what's actually underneath here? You know, yeah, thank you. And then behind you and then Gail. Well, I was relating well to everything you said, uh, when you got to the part about idle chatter, I guess I have high school in my mind because I'm now uh, working as a substitute teacher, but I flash back to memories of my old junior high school when the principal was often 
putting us down for engaging in idle small talk. And you know, we were resentful of this and saying, well, how does he know what we're talking about? So uh, this, is, this is just the one part of what you said where I have to work to disassociate and disconnect what was being said uh, from the memories of the high school principal uh-huh. putting us down for small talk. Uh, <laughs> um, and just, just, so I just have to work a little harder on that part of the talk. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, and uh, as I said, that's the one that's the hardest for us to let go of. Right. So, you know, to, to really be spacious around that side. But again, the main practice here is to look at the intention underlying yes. it. So, you know, to, and, to just see. And let it, of course, be said that uh, the whole business of mindful speech takes more practice uh, when you're online. Uh, <laughs> and I, I've become very, uh, very aware of that uh, recently uh, with people who've never met. And I'll stop there. Thank you. Yes, I think it's a huge, it's a huge um, domain. And, and in some ways, <clears throat> we have a little bit more, you know, it, unless you're doing, you know, the chatting, you know, if you're doing um, emailing, um, there's a little more time. And actually, if you're texting, too, there's a little more time because it takes longer to text something than it does to speak it. So there's a little bit more of a gap to, to, uh, to get in there. Go ahead, Gail. I'm, I'm wondering about um, my desire to connect with other people um, Sifting through it is, seems uh, kind of tricky sometimes because it seems like there's some some greed mm. in there, uh-huh. uh, and uh, that there's also uh, it seems like a real sincere heart uh, yearning in there or some some I don't that sounds like greed too though doesn't. It? Well, well, I mean, it's a, the, the connecting, I mean, there is a, I mean, I think that when the heart is open and there's no greed, aversion, and delusion, my understanding is it naturally connects, you know, so that, that it's, you know, um, it naturally resonates. The, the open heart will naturally resonate with others. So I think it's a natural kind of thing. And, um, you know, so in the place of seeing that wanting to connect, there's probably both some wholesome and unwholesome in there. There may be some needing, you know, some, oh, I'm not okay unless, you know, so there may be, there may be that side of it that, that feels like somehow I need to be connecting in order to be validated as a person. Uh, and there may just be the genuine sense of the open heart naturally kind of um, resonating. So just, just notice that I mean the main the main instruction here is really to just notice notice um, what the intention is and if you uncover a little bit of that stickiness yeah. just be with it yeah. you don't have to get rid of it you know just yeah. notice oh yeah there's some stickiness yeah. here too yeah. Yeah. yeah and is there delusion to well I know <laughs> I know there's delusion um, in in I just think in the whole assumptions underlying a lot of my contact with other people. For instance, there's the assumption that, that I'm me and this other person is, mm-hmm. is the other person. I mean, that sort of 
can get discouraging sometimes because it seems so so dominant of an, an assumption. Yes, and yeah. and um, you know that also. I mean, sometimes in hearing the teachings, we pick up these the sense of okay, so if I feel like I'm a self, then there's delusion there and, you know, well, that's obviously bad and, you know, how can I see that? And it's like, well, yeah. we can't, you know. Yeah. It's, it, it's more of an idea at that point. Yeah. So just notice that idea and, and notice what your experience actually is. Yeah. Because we can't see that before we can see it. <laughs> can't really see it. And... Uh, you know, to to try to act from a place right. of, oh, this idea, you know, it's, it's like acting from a view. You know, it's like, oh, self-other, there's delusion. I shouldn't act as if there's self-other. We're acting from some idea of what that is as opposed to the actual reality of it. And in acting from an idea, there's going to be other delusions that come into play. So just, you know, just notice what you're noticing there. Notice the sense of separation. Notice what you actually do notice there. Yeah. Thank you so much. And then Arthur, and this will be the last one. Um, so, um, creative speaking, is it? Um, so, you know, it, it's clearly uh, there are comedians, people get up on stage, they embellish their stories. Uh, how that relates to me, you know, as a teacher, there's I, one comes to mind, a story I would tell in a classroom, that, wasn't, that was true, it actually happened, but I would embellish it to make it far more interesting because uh, uh, it was interesting, um, but there's an entertainment. It, it, it works, you know, in, uh-huh. in those circumstances. Um, to a lesser degree, you meet people, you're with people, people have fun, you, 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 you talk, you tell things, you, you relate stories, um, you embellish them. Mm-hmm. Or you see certain parts of them. You know there's other parts to them uh, that you leave out. Um, so, uh, Again, I'd encourage you to look at the intention. Why are you choosing to tell certain stories? Why are you choosing to embellish? You know, what's the motivation there? Now, if the, if the embellishment... I mean, again, you know, the Buddha really encouraged um, not... Uh, no, no, no false speech, so that you know to, to you know telling the story itself may have an educational value as a teacher, you know, so my telling the story about my letter you know that hopefully had some kind of an educational value, and you know to um, so that, that that being the point of it, and to to see you know. In the embellishment, I'm again looking at the intention there. What's the intention? Is the intention to get a laugh? Is the intent, you know, to to look at that? It may be it may be to to get their attention, which may have a little bit less of a, uh, you know, there's less greed in that, you know. So, just exploring. Really, it's just exploring the intention more than anything. There's one quote I want to read you. I know I'm over a little bit, but I want to read this to you. This is from Saida Utejaniya. One of the practices I did as a layman, so he, he was a layman 
for I think most of his adult life, and or you know, I think until he was about thirty-five or so. One of the practices I did as a layman was keeping eight precepts, not the ones you keep here on retreat, but the usual five precepts: refraining from taking life, refraining from taking what's not given, refraining from false speech, refraining from uh, sexual misconduct, refraining from drugs and alcohol. The usual five precepts plus an extension of the speech precepts. That is, I tried not only not to lie, but also undertook to abstain from harsh speech, from slander, and from idle talk. I soon found that I needed a lot of mindfulness, a lot of self-awareness to keep all those speech precepts, and that's when my practice really started zooming. So I'll encourage you with that (laughs) story. That... uh, it will really support your mindfulness practice if you explore these uh, these speech precepts. Thank you.